Having autism is tough at school because um, the teacher always talks too fast or um, uh, her speech is boring and it's too much information. Well, first I have to like think about what to say to them. Like, uh, hey, guess what happened to me today? Like kind of that kind of thing. Sometimes they'll like, uh, I'll be like, are, are you scared about the test today or something like that? I try to listen as much as possible, but I think the speech is very boring, and so that's why I go on my computer. They don't really like uh, start conversations with me that much. I think I should also be in like the more public spaces at the school. I don't really go there though because I like to watch YouTube videos while I'm ha- having lunch, and uh, I always go to like quiet places to do that, where there's like not that many people. Personally, I don't like having to get talked to about what to do. What saying they're like okay so you have to say this and do this I, I don't really like it when people do that like tell me when i can talk like oh yeah you want you want to say something you can say something like something that happened in class like maybe you, you got a substitute teacher and you can talk to the student about like how funny he was or something because in my opinion i just like figuring that sort of thing out for myself and I don't like people having to tell me what to do in fact I hate being told what to do my whole life I've seemed to be bossed around and I'm getting sick of that those are high school students from our teen roundtable talking about what it's like to go to school when you're living with autism hi I'm Katie Benison and this is life on the spectrum bright lit classrooms crowded hallways Loud cafeterias, constant bells ringing, learning comprehension, awkward social situations. These are just a few of the challenges kids with autism face when they go to school. On this week's podcast, we're heading back to class. We'll talk to someone who spends a lot of time visiting schools, behavior consultant Catherine Thoreau, and she'll share how parents can best navigate the education system. We'll speak with learning support teacher Mark Talifer about what strategies he uses to help kids on the spectrum succeed in school. But first, we caught up with Dana Lee. Now, the first day of kindergarten is a big step in any child's development. It means more socializing, more structure, more independence from family. It can also be a nerve-wracking experience, not only for the kids, but also for their parents. How will your child adjust? Will the teacher understand their needs? Will they be okay? When you have a child with autism, those questions can weigh even more heavily. As a mom of twin boys, Dana can definitely relate. Taylor and Jason are five years old. Jason does not have autism, but Taylor does. When we spoke with Dana, the kids were just about to go into kindergarten, and I started by asking her how she felt about Taylor starting school. To be perfectly honest, I'm nervous, a little bit scared for him, but also kind of excited to see what the start of school is going to do for him. We felt nervous before he started preschool in terms of finding the right environment for him. And that turned out to be such a great experience for him that I want to have that same optimism going forward. So what are your main concerns? Um, So the number one concern is safety. (laughs) So Taylor tends to... um, you know, have a very little sense of danger. Um, He doesn't understand, you know, just basic safety rules. So, you know, you're supposed to stay with an adult when you're five. You know, he he doesn't feel like that applies to him. 
and he doesn't socialize in a typical way. So it's not like he knows who to approach and who not to um, when he doesn't feel um, safe or when he's uncomfortable or when something's going on for him that he doesn't understand. Um, I want to make sure that he's feeling challenged and feeling stimulated. Um, He's actually very academically strong. So um, when he was three, we discovered that he had learned how to read on his own, and he probably knows how to read um, over 500 words now. And uh, we hope that you know people also want to know more about Taylor, not just from a curiosity perspective, like why is that boy behaving so strangely, but tell us more about autism and how it affects individuals and how can we better support people who have it. So when you went to the kindergarten orientation, was it just for parents or you you took the boys? It was for the students who were entering kindergarten as well as the parents. So but, how, how did it go for Taylor when you met with the teachers? So it was a bit overwhelming, admittedly. I mean, Taylor found it hard to sit still in the room. So it was just kind of stressful, actually, because... Why? Uh, what happened? Well, it was a new environment for Taylor, so he was just you know, wanting to explore everywhere. And all the other kids were sitting nicely, (laughs) but, you know, not ours. And, uh, you know, he's really interested in um, sounds that he can make. So right now he's really into flicking glass windows with his um, two fingers, and it creates this very satisfying sound and, and sensation for him. And so, you know, he was immediately drawn to all the the windows in every room we went to, and he would just break through everyone to get to the windows at the far side of the room so that he could get his flicking on them. Um, And, you know, people were like looking at us and, you know, kind of what's going on there. I don't think there was any ill will, but, you know, people are curious, like what's affecting that child? How does Taylor feel about starting school? Uh, You know, I don't think he knows what's in store for him. (laughs) I think, um, you know, Jason was definitely more aware and he was quite upset when preschool ended. They both really enjoyed their preschool experience. And we're hoping that kindergarten will provide them with that kind of academic and just learning environment where there's just so much to see and to do and to explore. And um, it's introduced in a way that it's much more structured. And I think, you know, he can benefit from that. I think learning organically is wonderful. But I think with Taylor, he does need more structure and things kind of like put in front of him. And um, I would love for him to feel really mentally um, stimulated and, and challenged and to maybe like learn to develop his speech skills so that now he can actually start expressing, you know, more than just the, his needs, but actually, you know, social comments like that's so cool or I really like this. I mean, it would be wonderful to hear those things from him. That was parent Dana Lee. Of course, every parent wants what's best for their child and they want them to succeed in school. But for parents of kids with autism spectrum disorder, what's best isn't always clear. And there are so many questions along the way. Should I put my child in the public system or a private school? What can I do to prepare them? What about the teachers and support staff? What do I say to them? Well, that's where Catherine Thoreau comes in. Catherine is a behavior consultant for school-aged kids on the spectrum. She helps families make clear plans for kids with learning and behavioral issues. She's also the director of SOAR, an inclusive preschool in Richmond, British Columbia. And she helps train teachers and other professionals. I started by asking her if she could explain what a behavior consultant is. 
Absolutely. Behavior consultants are the clinical directors of behavioral intervention programs. So the goals that are collaborated on with parents, the intervention strategies that are used to achieve those goals, the staff training, the program evaluation, that's all the ultimate responsibility of the behavior consultant. So you play an integral role supporting students at home and school. And can you describe the types of things you do when you go into a school? Part of it is just to assess the need for me to be there. Sometimes I'm there because schools have asked me to come in. Sometimes I'm there because parents have asked me to come in. So I'm going to take the temperature of the team that I'm working with and see how much they recognize that there may or may not be a problem present. Then once I've established that, I can go in and assess the child in the classroom setting, in the recess and lunchroom settings and work with the team on what might be possible in terms of intervening on some of the obstacles to learning and making friends that might be happening for the child there. And what are the biggest challenges for kids with autism when they're first entering the public school system? A lot of the challenges for young children, so if we're talking about first entering, maybe we're thinking kindergarten, uh, are social. Um, Children with autism struggle to learn in a group, to pick up on the hidden rules that govern peer relationships. So you might see that they're struggling with classroom routines, um, jacket on and off. What do I do about snack? Uh, What do I do during centers when I want to share this game with a peer? Am I even noticing the peers are talking to me and responding appropriately? So a lot of it is social. And then we may or may not also struggle with some of those pre-academic goals. Um, But for a lot of kids on the spectrum, those are actually less stressful because they tend to be quite structured, predictable. They fall into patterns, which are traditional areas of strength for kids on the spectrum. So I'd say mostly social versus academic problems. So what would you say are the biggest challenges for kids with autism as they move through elementary school? Once you hit intermediate, there's a huge jump. Play moves from games and chase to conversation-based relationships, and this is a real issue that some kids on the spectrum struggle with. The other piece is uh, there's a line that says, we switch from learning to read to reading to learn. So if your child is struggling with reading comprehension, now they need to use those reading skills to pick up on new information, and that can be a big area of difficulty. Uh, Reading and writing, writing gets a lot longer. Uh, You have to rely more on your own personal organization skills. So all of those skills come online in four, five, six, and seven. Grades four, five, six, seven, yeah? Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So those tend to be the areas where children who maybe even didn't need that much support in the primary grades, grades one, two, three, suddenly start to need issues. And the parents might not know who to go to for support in those situations because they haven't really needed it for a while. What about high school? What would the biggest challenges for kids with autism be as they move through uh, high school or even actually transitioning from elementary school to high school? Mm -hmm. If we haven't really addressed the issues we're having in intermediate grades around longer reading and writing and executive functioning, personal organization stuff, and following longer directions, those things continue to be an issue. Peer relationships get even more complex, especially if any kind of romantic feelings or interests are developing. And then self-advocacy plays a huge role in high school because your team goes from being maybe one or two teachers and one support person to quite a few teachers who have a big caseload, maybe 300 kids. So being able to identify the strategies you need to succeed and tell your teacher about that in an appropriate way becomes a huge skill for kids. 
So how can parents prepare kids prior to going into kindergarten? Depending on your learner, the preparation that's required before kindergarten um, might look like really trying to recreate a number of those kindergarten type environments, either in preschool or at home or a clinic setting for therapy. So uh, learning to sit still while someone else reads a story, uh, turn-taking games, gaining someone's attention appropriately. There's a lot of pre-kindergarten skills that can be worked with outside of school. Uh, there's other stuff that they need to work on, like their emotion regulation or self-management skills, all of those uh, daily living skills that happen in school around hand washing and toileting. So a lot of it is similar to what other preschoolers are working on, but probably more intensively and in a more structured way so that we're helping those children carry over the learning from the therapy environment into a more school-like setting. So... How can parents help kids as they move through the school years? I would say looking a couple years forward at what skills you want your child to have and then making a plan as how we're going to acquire those skills is really important. And I know this is a burden for families. It's hard to deal just with the day-to-day issues of being a parent, let alone a parent of a child with a neurodiverse condition like autism. Uh, But when you can, being able to take a breath and look at the big picture of what do we need in a few years is is hugely helpful because then you set your goals and you reorganize your priorities and your resources towards those areas instead of kind of flailing about trying to deal with every issue as it comes up, but not maybe getting to the place you want to. Now, of course, parents also need to navigate the school system and teachers and support teams. So what advice would you offer? Because that can be really stressful for parents. That can be so stressful for parents, again, let alone when your child has some kind of learning difference or socializing issue. Um, One, I think, is to always try to go into it with a positive attitude and find something in common with the people. Like, we're all here hoping uh, for a plan to help so-and-so succeed. We all want to see him make friends this year. We all want to see her learn those times tables. Because often our goals are similar, but the way we think those goals need to be achieved might be different. And that's where compromise and really listening and taking into account others' perspectives, while at the same time, Um, trying to be really clear and firm about what are, let's say, like the deal breaker issues for your kid, right? My kid must sit in the front or my kid must have some reteaching of these concepts or I need to know what the unit of inquiry, which is like a big lesson plan. I need to know what that is coming up so we can get books out of the library and I can start prepping her on those concepts. And for people who aren't familiar, Can you explain what is an Individualized Education Program, or IEP? How does it work? Absolutely. So IEPs are mandated as a plan for your child that talks about what goals above and beyond the goals of that grade for for other kids in the class your child is going to be working on. Because realistically, schools receive money for having a kid with a diagnosed disability registered in their classroom or in their district. So it's an accountability thing where the school then says, okay, this is how we're using those resources. We're uh, working on this goal for this student. We're going to do a small group of peers at lunch to practice turn-taking. We're going to provide extra support around filling in his agenda and understanding what the teacher's asking. So that's a way of looking at the big areas where your child is struggling and where we want to help them stretch to over the course of the year. So at an IEP, parents 
have a very short time to discuss the entire plan for their child. So what do you say is the best thing they can do to maximize their time? I would say it's two pieces. One is inside the meeting. The other is what can we do in advance? So inside the meeting, I really recommend that if you're at all, you know, especially if you're new to the process or you have some complex issues, bring one of your specialist team members with you, maybe even two, your psychologist, your behavior consultant, your SLP, your OT, the people who are really working on those priority areas for your child, give them face time with the school team so they can collaborate on goals and strategies. Uh, that also has to do with uh, being prepared before you get into the meeting um, so that you don't waste your time on issues that maybe aren't so pertinent to you. You don't really care maybe about the field trips, but you do really care on what that next big lesson is that the kids should be finding out about. You want to make sure you get that ahead of time, or you want to make sure that there's a goal in there around learning to use their planner independently. Whatever those things are, have them on a list and make sure you get to them relatively early, maybe in the first half of the meeting, so that you have a chance of getting that stuff talked about with a real meaningful plan of who's going to do what to move this forward. Ahead of the meeting, I suggest that parents really maximize the other avenues of contact that you have with your school team. So that might be the little five to 10 minute parent teacher meet and greet that they do early in the year. Or I often recommend that parents write an email or a little one page letter on brightly colored paper that talks about some key features of your child's profile, right? She really likes this. Uh, These are some triggers for her. Uh, She might get anxious if she does. I recommend this, those sorts of things. And using language that's really open um, to collaboration like, Uh, What we've found works at home is this, or I've been told by other professionals to do X, that kind of stuff so that you're not coming in looking like a demanding parent necessarily, but you do look like an assertive parent who knows their child well. So one decision parents have to make is whether to send their kids to public school or to schools geared specifically to kids with autism. How do you approach that? So a family really has to think about what are my top goals or hopes and dreams for my kid and what's the best setting to work on those things because that can change depending on year-to-year development other issues that come up Um, plenty of children start in a more specialized program and slowly move into a more uh, integrated setting where they're with mainstream peers Um, some children do the opposite and they do elementary school within a public school classroom. And then for high school, they really want to focus on some specialty areas. So they move into a distributed learning program, maybe, which is another word for homeschooling. And they work on those specific things with one-to-one tutors outside of school. It really depends on that child's profile. We hear a lot about modified and adapted programs. What is the difference? That's a great question because it's a real area of confusion for parents. The difference between modified and adapted has everything to do with the curriculum goals for that grade. So if you're working on an adapted program, that means you're still pursuing the goals of, let's say, grade 10, but with extra support strategies to help you meet those goals. If you're working on a modified program, that means that in one subject area like math or across all subject areas, depending, you're going to be working on goals that are important for you, the learner, but not necessarily that similar to what other grade 10s are working on. So if parents decide to go for a modified program, will their child still get a high school diploma? 
parents really worry about that? And the answer is, in most provinces or in the states, there's some kind of diploma available for finishing out your time in high school. If you work on an adapted curriculum, and so you meet those goals that everyone else is meeting just with a little bit of different support, then you'll get some kind of final diploma. In BC, we call it a dogwood diploma. That's the diploma that universities are going to be looking for. It means you finished a certain type of credits, a certain type of program. Other children will get a different kind of diploma that more means they finished up their individualized program. In BC, we call it the school leaving certificate or the evergreen diploma. And they will still participate in all the grade 12 activities that they want to um, go through all of those rites of passage, walk with their classmates, all of that. But if they're then thinking of post-secondary, there may be credits here and there that they need to catch up on before they meet those entrance requirements. So what is the best way for parents to make that decision, adapted or modified? I think you want to get as much advice from people who really know your situation and your child as possible. And then I always say to wait as long as possible before you make that call. In BC, you don't have to decide really until grade 10. And then you make that decision when you have as much information at your disposal as you can. So do you have any final words of advice for parents? I think I would focus on uh, the fact that this is often an overwhelming process, figuring out the support that your child needs. And it can feel sometimes like fighting an uphill battle, um, you know, trying to put a square peg in a round hole and all of that. And that's because school systems still are built around this idea of a mythological normal student that there's a majority learner and then children with special needs are kind of around the outskirts and we're trying to fit them in where they can be fit in but the truth is there is no normal learner everyone has different strengths and weaknesses areas of challenge and the more all parents can advocate and not be discouraged you know and keep pushing as much as you can Um, the better the system will learn to anticipate these needs and respond so that later on we won't have to fight as hard because we'll be looking at individualized learning for everyone. That was Catherine Thoreau, a behavior consultant and the director of an inclusive preschool near Vancouver. She spends a lot of time, as you can hear, in the schools, making visits in the classroom and attending IEPs. This is Life on the Spectrum. I'm Katie Bennison, and if you like what you're hearing, please like, subscribe, and share us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen. And for more content, check out our website, lifeonthespectrumpodcast.com. Because we had a diagnosis, he had support all the way through from the day he started kindergarten until the day he walked out of grade seven. In high school, it starts to become a little bit different. They don't really have the same kind of support in high school. If I think back to the things that worked well, I I think it's that daily communication, that way to sort of like any advanced subjects, um, class projects, uh, outside school events. So I would say some type of daily communication system or check-in or routine and to really advocate for that. Being in constant communication with the school, with the learning support teacher, with the EAs, with the whole team is a key. It should be there and sometimes we have to a little bit push for that but I do that like at the first 
day of school, I send an email. I'm like, don't think I'm one of those crazy moms, but I might be. So bear with me. And that helps. <laughs> I am that pain in the butt. And definitely I do it. You know, I, I never wanted to at the beginning. I was like, oh, no, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be that person. But you know what? Be that person. Like yeah. your kid, they deserve it. And you do it nicely. Like, you know, lots of hearts and smiles, whatever you do. And thank yous. Um, but the teachers are very responsive to that. Mm-hmm. And it helps so much. Like just to have that communication and say, this is coming up. Like, you know, how can we help? How can we work on this together to get the best outcome? Because they want the best outcome too, right? Those were some voices from our parent roundtable. They have teens with autism, and they were sharing some of their thoughts on navigating the school system. Now, over the last several decades, most classroom sizes have grown, budgets have been cut, and teachers don't have the same resources they used to. At the same time, the need for more individualized learning has grown, Having professional support in school can make an enormous difference for kids with autism. It's something that Mark Talifer thinks about a lot. Mark is a learning resource teacher at Sutherland Secondary School in North Vancouver, and he's been supporting students with various needs for over 16 years. He's worked in both the private and public school systems at elementary and high schools. So I started by asking him about the difficulties kids with autism are likely to face in school. Um, So often it's things that come across as being, you know, not socially fitting in, uh, not being able to transition very well, maybe from class to class or activity to activity. Sometimes it looks like maybe not uh, being able to react in an expected way. So maybe sometimes that might look like uh, an emotional outburst or maybe even the lack of an emotional reaction. So what are some of the ways that an education assistant will support kids with autism in elementary school? Um, It'll often be with life skills, something as simple as hygiene. Um, It could be social things like playing out on the playground or interacting in groups when students are doing work or collaborating in groups in class. It could be supporting them with their academic work, um, especially language-based academic work, so helping them comprehend texts. It could be just sitting and helping them break down assignments so that they understand what to do. We're going to start to match the students' need to become more independent. So when we get to high school, um, they need to circulate through different classes. They're going to have a multitude of teachers. So what we often start doing is we make sure that we're not over-supporting and we're providing... I'm very careful to use the word uh, that support is lessened, reduced, or taken away. I think what we do is we adapt and we change support to the students' needs. Uh, We want a student to become more independent, so we're going to fade back a little bit into the background. We're going to start making observations, making the student more responsible to coming to us and reviewing how things went so they can start to think more analytically and critically about themselves. Um, At a high school level, some of the things that we might start to work on, though, that might look a little bit different would be that transitioning out of high school. And also, Depending on the ability of the student, it could be understanding what a more complex social world looks like, what a more complex academic world looks like with higher demands. Increased independence is often expected uh, in all different types of uh, skill sets. And then, of course, as you get to the end, it's what is that going to look like uh, for a person when they leave a high school? Are they going to be employed? Are they going to be volunteering? Are they going to continue education? Are they going to be living more independently? So that's how things can change Um, as you get to high school. 
often parents can have questions or concerns and they might be a bit shy about raising them. What's the best way for parents to raise concerns outside of an IEP? Email is good. Coming in and and making appointments to sit down and chat is good. I've had parents where I've realized that they're just very uncomfortable and there needs to be relationship building. So what I do is I sit down and I set a monthly meeting where we just check in. Uh, Maybe I can get the EAs there so that they can bring their observations and we can tweak what they're doing and monitor what they're doing so that it, it all goes in the way that we're all expecting it to go. Sometimes we have daily logs, you know, and that can be done through paper, pencil kind of format where we have a log book we're sending home. I've had uh, methods where we use Google Docs and we set up templates where, you know, then the parent's able to check just live, you know, uh, or at the end of the day before they receive their child, because sometimes it makes sense for them to know what has happened in the day so that they know how they're going to receive their child, especially as they get older and into high school. You know, it's really endless, and but I think that's something that you would just need to bring up with a teacher, a learning sport teacher, administrator, and ask them, how do you want me to communicate with you? And what are some things that parents can do to optimize their kids' school experience in elementary school? Is there anything they can do at home, say, to prepare them for kindergarten, start of school? Um starting with the things that I think are good for every child, is just acclimatize them to the environment. Do things like walk-bys at the school, play in the playground, um, have some playdates if you can organize them in the playground. My, my child's school has a Facebook page or a parent communication page, and I, I saw for kindergarten this year they were inviting parents to come at the end of August to meet and greet the parents and play with the students depending on your comfort level while you're chatting with parents you may want to explain to them what's going on because one of the things that i've seen especially at the kindergarten grade one level is all the parents are anxious and when you get unexpected behavior that people can't understand sometimes explaining if you feel comfortable if you can can go a long way and then what can parents do to help prepare their child for transitioning from elementary school into high school Um, So here we're working with grade 7s who are moving into grade 8. And there's a variety of things that parents have already reached out to do. And often I will actually request that parents do these things by sending out an email uh, months, often even a year prior to the transition. Um, And those are things like coming into the school. I like to meet the parents. I like to find out what their perspective are on their child, any fears or anxieties I like to dispel or try and answer questions. I like to go to the student's environment, you know, so I'm in their territory and they feel comfortable and they can show me around and be kind of a leader. And then I like to invite them to my environment, which will eventually be theirs, uh, to show them what they can expect so that they're not anxious about it. Sometimes that also looks like uh, them coming on some outings with us. Uh, Sometimes it looks like spending some time observing a classroom. Sometimes it looks like sitting down and bringing some work in to my space and them doing some work so they can get the feeling for how it feels to do what they already know how to do in a different environment. So what do you find most satisfying about your work, Mark? To tell you the truth, you know, I really think of my job as as just community service. Specifically with the students that I work with, I've always felt that, you know, a place where I can help is those who are often overlooked or misunderstood, those who require some advocacy uh, and support. I felt that I'm able to come in and explain to people that actually this is why this student is doing this. This is what you can do. And then 
really show them very quickly that when they change their perspective and what they do, the behavior changes, the mood changes, the experience for everyone changes. And, and for me, I'm really satisfied that I've been able to enact some of those things and support in that way. And that's what I really get a lot of encouragement from to continue doing this. Mark Talifer is a learning resource teacher at Sutherland Secondary School in North Vancouver, British Columbia. I looked at Dylan as my teacher and I'm the student and just really shifting how I show up and really kind of change to like building a life and find out what you're passionate about and what you love. If he can just get back in his seat in school, uh, regardless of it's an adapted program or any program it's in, and he can just make it through, I think kids will thrive if they find that thing that they're passionate about. And for me, the last year, it's about finding that way to build a life through his passions. Uh, That's really important. Academically, he does pretty good. And I just keep saying to him, you don't have to be at the top of your class. You don't have to be valedictorian. You don't have to get straight A's. This is high school. And the rest of your life doesn't hinge on whether or not you ace high school. Right? Mm -hmm. We are going to get you through high school. And when you get out the other side, you get to pick something that you really want to do with your life. And I I think he's going to be great. Those were some parents from our roundtable recording with some words of encouragement for their teenagers about school. Well, that's the end of our school day here at Life on the Spectrum. I hope you've learned a few tips, perhaps feel a little more confident next time you have to go into a school meeting or advocate for your child in a certain situation. We hope you're enjoying our podcast and that it's helpful. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and then you'll know all about our upcoming episodes. Give us a review if you like, and please share with your friends so you can help us reach more people. Our website is lifeonthespectrumpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook. In our next episode, we'll be talking all about funding and financing and balancing those autism-related expenses. In later episodes, We'll be taking a look at the teenage years, and we have a feature interview coming up with autism trailblazer Temple Grandin. You won't want to miss that. Well, that's it for now. I'm Katie Benison. Thanks so much for listening.